Uh, it's at this time, uh, the children who are, what's the age, is it kin- kindergarten and under, uh, will be following Jeff as he leads them downstairs today. The rest of our children, we do family Sunday, so if you're above kindergarten, then you'll be staying in the service with us today. We do, we do the first Sunday of it, or the last Sunday of every month, this family Sunday, where we just have more of the kids stay in service with us, that they would learn and understand what it is to be a part of the church and be, listen to a sermon and go through all the things that we do. So I encourage you, if you are an adult here, you have a lot of eyes on you. And so the way that you participate in the worship service disciples those who are around you. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, just to recap on Chris's announcement, prayer meeting is tonight. I really encourage you to be here for that. It is an incredible time where we truly just depend upon Christ um, and we trust in him. We're going to be praying not only for our church but for our country. And so uh, we'd love for you to be able to come 5 o'clock, 5 to 6 is prayer, and then bring a dish to pass and we, we eat together afterwards. Today we are looking at baptism. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Now, if you are a regular here, we are like 10 to 15 minutes ahead of schedule. Uh, normally we're not starting sermons like 1030, uh, but we kind of did everything because we, uh, we wanted to preach on baptism before we actually did baptism. We wanted to make sure we were rightly thinking about it. And so we've, we've kind of played around with the whole service a little bit today. So the order's a little bit different. And uh, so in a little bit, we'll have five students that we are baptizing. And so in the weeks leading up to today, I've just been kind of going back over baptism, reminding myself, doing some additional studies. And I'll tell you, it has been good. Like I've just grown in my love for God, for the church, my, my, my understanding of it. Uh, one, of the, one of the books that I was reading as it was walking through baptism, and it was just explaining the depth of it. It was saying, when you understand baptism, you, you understand the gospel. You understand the relationship between the old covenant and the new covenant. You understand the unity of the church. You understand our union to Christ, our understanding of sin, the assurance of the believer that we have, and also our hope as a citizen in the new heavens and new earth in God's kingdom. And so there's so much that baptism will touch on, and so we are not going to preach on all of that today. In fact, today is just kind of this, uh, uh, just a snapshot of baptism and we are going to be in Matthew chapter 28. So I want to encourage you, go ahead and stand with me. Uh, we stand here when we read uh, the scripture, simply as a means of reminding ourselves that this word that we have comes to us inspired by the Spirit of God for the purpose of correcting and equipping and training. Many of you are familiar with this. Many of you can probably just quote this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let me pray. Father, we come to you now. And Lord, as we are looking at baptism, we just pray for your your spirit to give us wisdom, to give us understanding. Lord, what a day that we celebrate as as we're going to be practicing baptism today. And and your gospel will, will be on display as we do that. Lord, I pray that you'll grow us right now in our knowledge of baptism and what it stands for. 
on how it points us to what you have done for us at the cross. May we grow in our love for you and our love for one another today. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. So I am planning now, I was talking to Chris, earlier elder, and said, hey, we, we need to do a series on baptism. So just so you know, next week we are starting the book of Hebrews. So if you haven't been doing your homework, your homework is read Hebrews, and then when you finish it, start over and repeat and repeat and repeat, because we're going to be in Hebrews for quite a while, and I'm very excited about that. And then after that series, uh, we're going to do a, a four to six week series on baptism and just jump in on there before we go into another book. So that's going to be the order that we go. So um, be studying Hebrews and be thinking about baptism. And today we are going to jump in to baptism. So many of you know this passage. Many of you, it's super familiar. In fact, Chris pretty much already quoted this passage as he said, the mission of our church and really the mission of the church is to make disciples who make disciples. So Jesus... Um, at this point, well, Matthew, the author of this book, has revealed Christ throughout his book to be our Messiah, meaning our Savior, the one who is uh, going to save us from our sins. He's revealed him to be the Son of God. He's revealed him as the true Israel. And he's also revealed him as our righteous King, who through his death and his resurrection of the cross, established his kingdom here on earth. And now, so Jesus as king of all creation, with all authority, no one supersedes his rule and authority. He turns to his disciples or the citizens of his kingdom, and he gives them the mission, which is really our mission, which is the mission of the church, make disciples of all nations. That's what we're called to do. In fact, the main verb is make. It's make disciples. The word go is actually more accurately translated as you go. So the, the verb's not go, it's as you're going, make disciples. That's the way it would be read in the Greek. And so uh, he's turning to them and saying, as you leave from here, as you go from this mountain, as you go back to your cities, as you go back into all the nations, I'm calling you to make disciples. And so that then begs the question, well, what is a disciple? And of course, we have talked in here many times, a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple is a citizen of Jesus' kingdom. A disciple is one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross, three days later rose again, and that's only by believing in him we are saved, that we are forgiven of our sins, and that we would have a new citizenship in his kingdom. One of the ways that we will often talk about a disciple here in this church is a disciple is one who learns Jesus in order to live and love like Jesus. So the learning is not just gaining information in our heads so that we just get smarter, but it's that transformative knowledge that as we grow in our understanding, we're growing in our love of Christ, our worship of him. We get that from in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul tells the Ephesians, that's not how you learned Christ, meaning the way you learn Christ transforms the way you live so that we would live like Jesus and that we would love like him. So that's often the way we will talk about it here. And so just so you know, if you are a Christian, you are a disciple. There's no tiered Christianity like Christian and then disciple up here, and eventually you make it to disciple where you tell other people about Jesus. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple. 
And we are called to go tell other people about Jesus. We're called to make other disciples. And we might say, well, how do we do that? And Jesus gives us two things that we're called to do. Number one, we see in verse 19, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Number two, we teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. And we're not going to look at both those. We're primarily just looking at baptism today. And how is it that baptism is is playing into the making of disciples? So we're going to look at what is baptism today, and why is it that Jesus calls us to do that as in the part of making disciples. And so uh, the first point we see is that baptism is an essential part of discipleship. We see that in verse 19. I mean, Jesus says, go make disciples and baptize them. Very first thing he says, if you're going to make disciples, you must be baptizing them. And what we understand as we begin to look at baptism, it is an act of obedience that one does at the very beginning of the Christian life. In fact, in the book of Acts, which is really description of the early church, we continually see baptism connected with faith, repentance, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. I, I just want to give a few examples real quick of, of how we see that. In Acts chapter 2, Peter. Peter and the apostles, they've been in the upper room. They've been praying. They've been, uh, they then go out into the streets. They begin preaching, and thousands are listening to them preach. And the crowd responds when, when Peter gets done telling them about the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Jesus has done for them, and they say, what do we do? How are we supposed to respond to this? And so Peter then says, you need to repent and be baptized. The response is to repent and to be baptized to the gospel of Jesus. In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, Philip, he's preaching the gospel. All of a sudden, people were told they believe in Jesus Christ, and therefore they were baptized the the story that uh they're looking at downstairs today the ethiopian eunuch philip he comes he comes into contact with the ethiopian eunuch he's studying the book of isaiah he begins to ask questions philip tells him about jesus explains the gospel to him and then he believes and he is baptized in Acts chapter 9, verse 18, when Paul was saved, he received the Holy Spirit and was baptized. In Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48, Chris preached on this just uh, two weeks ago. It was like two weeks ago uh, where Peter, he goes to Cornelius, the Gentile centurion. There's other Gentiles who are there. He preaches the gospel. They believe. They receive the Holy Spirit. And so Peter goes, how can I not baptize them? And so he baptizes them. All throughout the New Testament, we see that faith, repentance, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit um, comes together with baptism at the beginning of one's salvation in Christ. You could uh, kind of think about it a little bit like when a man and a woman get married. When they come to get married, they exchange their rings. And so... Uh, They don't exchange rings throughout their marriage, but they do so at the very beginning of their marriage. And the ring, it represents their love for one another, the union that they now have with one another. It is a reminder to themselves that they now have um, a different relationship with this person. They have different priorities now because they are now married. And so with our baptism... As we are baptized in the beginning of our Christian life, it is a reminder or it it testifies of our union with Christ, of his love for us and our love for him. 
It's a, it's a reminder to ourselves that we now have a new relationship with God and his son Jesus, and we now live differently. We have new priorities, a new way that we live. So it's similar to that of the passing of, of the exchanging of rings. Baptism functions a little like a, a boundary line revealing who is a believer, who are the members of the church. Tom Schreiner um, a professor over at Southern Seminary said, baptism in the water and the spirit is the signature event for Christians, making them, making them out as members of the people of God. And so here Jesus is saying, go baptize them. And, and as you're baptizing them, they are declaring their allegiance to Christ, that they're a member of his body, citizen of his kingdom. So that's the first thing we understand about baptism number two it is a sacrament so sacraments a word we don't necessarily use all the time we as protestants we believe in two sacraments uh, baptism and communion the catholic church holds seven so there's a a difference there which we're not going to necessarily get into today Um, augustine defines sacrament in a very helpful way and i think i put it maybe in your no i don't think it's actually in your notes um A sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible grace. That made the title, though. A visible sign of an invisible grace. It's a physical act which represents a spiritual reality, but not just any spiritual reality. It's an action that embodies the very gospel itself. John Calvin said it this way. I thought it was really helpful. Um, This is in your notes. It says, it's an outward sign by which the Lord seals on our consciences the promises of his good will toward us in order to sustain the weaknesses of our faith. And so, so what we understand here, so a sacrament is something that's been commanded by Jesus Christ. It's applied to the whole church, and it embodies the gospel. And so there's a, there's a command that we have to do it. As we see it, it follows the command, make disciples. We do that baptizing. So baptism is a response that we have to the gospel. We are saved, and therefore we are baptized. But as Calvin shows, it is also a means in which our consciences, which the Lord seals our consciences, the promises of his good will toward us in order to sustain the weaknesses of our faith. It's a means in which we receive grace as well. For the one that who has faith as they partake of communion or are they being baptized, not only is it a physical action displaying a visible reality, not only are they being obedient in the, in, in the commands of Christ, but they're also receiving grace at that moment that they would be strengthened, that they'd grow in their faith at that moment. And we, we see that throughout as, as Paul talks about the New Testament. And one thing I think, thinking that we, are, that we are human and that we're physical people, God meets us where we're at. Like right now, we are preaching forth the gospel. And so you are hearing the gospel with your, with your ears. But when we take communion and when we are baptized, we also see, taste, and touch the gospel. Have you, have you ever thought of it that way? And so there'll be some churches who, like communion, one of the sacraments that God has ordained for the whole church to take, for every member of the church. 
Some churches will do it, you know, once a week or once a month or once a quarter or once a year, whatever it is. We like to do it every week because it is that reminder, it's a tasting and a touching. It's a seeing of the gospel as we look at the bread, which represents the body of Christ, and the juice, which represents the wine of Christ. It reveals to us what Christ has done. Christ meets us in the weakness of, of our flesh and displays the gospel through baptism, and we'll look at that more in a few moments through the sacraments. Sinclair Ferguson, a theologian, he said it this way. He said, we do not get a different or a better Christ in the sacraments than we do in the word, but he says this, but we may get the same Christ better with a firmer grasp of his grace through seeing, touching, feeling, and tasting as well as hearing. Have you ever thought of it that way? As God is, is using all of our senses at those moments and the understanding of the very gospel itself and what he has done for us. So we see that baptism is an act that we do at the, be- at the beginning of our Christian life. It's this obedience that we do. It's a, re- it's a response that we have of the gospel. It's a receiving of God's grace. But we might say, so how is it that baptism is a visible sign pointing to an invisible grace like how does baptism actually embody the gospel that brings us to the next point and where we're going to spend a little bit of time uh baptism is a picture of the gospel and so uh, if you have your bibles you can turn to romans chapter six although i think it might be up on the screen romans six one through four and what i want to i want to read this because what's interesting is When Paul responds to various arguments, whether it's in Romans, Colossians, uh, whether it's Galatians or various texts, he uses baptism as a means of making his point many times. In fact, one thing that I have done, and maybe you have done this, uh, I often have tried to figure out, okay, is Paul talking about physical baptism or like spiritual baptism? You know, like what it kind of signifies. And we're always trying to dissect it as if, Paul sometimes means one and not the other. And as I was studying this week, I just came to realize Paul never seems to try to make that division. He just simply refers to baptism, referring to, yes, the physical, and yes, the spiritual. Not trying to say, this is the one I'm referring to here, or this is the one I'm referring to. But when I'm speaking of baptism, he's like, I want you to think of the physical act of going into the water and coming up out of the water and what Christ has done for us, the spiritual significance also. So I I don't think, as, as we're walking our way through, that we should anymore try to delineate between the physical and the spiritual when paul's referring to baptism he's talking about both and so here in chapter 6 verse 1 this is what paul says he says what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound he says by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into christ jesus were baptized into his death we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So let me give just a little context here. Paul's been walking through the gospel, uh, explaining what Jesus has done for us at the cross, that he rose again three days later. At the end of chapter 5, he's been talking about sin, and he says, "Where, where sin has increased, he says, grace abounded all the more, meaning 
That wherever there's sin, God's grace in Jesus is stronger, is more powerful, is able to overcome sin. So no matter what sin you have done, no matter how you have lived your life, wherever sin has abounded, grace is able to abound all the more. God's grace is sufficient in Jesus Christ to bring forgiveness for all sins. And so, so then he says, but as he says that, where sin is abounded, grace has abounded more, he knows that someone may very well twist his words and say, so wait, Paul, you're saying where there's a lot of sin, there's more grace? Well, let's help Jesus out. Let's all sin. Let's sin a whole lot. Then he'll just pour forth grace everywhere. Let's do that, Paul. Is that what you're saying? And so Paul's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. And, and then he, he wants us to know why that's ridiculous, though. Why it would be absolutely absurd for you or I to think it does not matter how we live our Christian life. He wants us to understand for anyone that thinks that they can be a Christian and then live a cavalier life, not caring about the commands of Christ, not living the way he has called us to, is ridiculous and an absolute impossibility. And he does so by talking about baptism. And so, so what we see, he says in verse 2, he's like, how he says you have died to sin how can you still live in sin you've died to it now you might say well when did that happen verse three we died to sin when we were baptized in christ thus to be baptized into christ is to be baptized into his death you see when we look at baptism our immersion into the water points to the death of our sinful old self that took place at the cross so when you are being baptized god is declaring your old sinful self is dead jesus has paid for your sins at his death on the cross he has swallowed up your sins or the word that we use a lot here remember that propitiation remember what it means wrath absorber he's absorbed god's wrath in himself so that now we would be forgiven and we would no longer be guilty before God. So when we go into the water, that is a picture of our baptism into Christ that when he died, our old sinful self also died. In fact, Paul says something very similar in Galatians. Galatians 2.20, many of you know this verse. I have been crucified with Christ. Do you remember that? He's referring to the same thing he's talking about here in Romans. We were crucified with Christ. We were baptized into his death. When Jesus Christ died, our old self died with him so that we would be forgiven of our sins. And then he goes on into verse 4. And then when Christ was raised from the dead, he was raised so that we too might have newness of life. So when we come up out of the water, it points to the new life that we now have in Christ. That when he rose from the grave, we also were forgiven and were given new life in Christ. Our sins have been paid for. We've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And we now are made righteous. One of the things I did with some of the students this last week as we were reviewing baptism, we have a whiteboard in the office. So we, we put marks all over the whiteboard and said, okay, so this is what we look like before Christ. 
And then we, we talked about when, when Christ dies on the cross, our sins are all wiped away. So we, we cleared off the whiteboard so it was now clean. It was just white. But Jesus doesn't leave us like that. He then gives us something. He gives us his righteousness. So see, when Jesus looks at you, he's not looking at, oh, you've been forgiven and you're all now clean in and of yourself. No, he says, you've been forgiven and now you have the righteousness of Christ upon you. You have the life of Christ in you. The Spirit of God is now living in you that you would live a new life as God has called us to now. So that is what is happening in baptism. Our baptism is God's declaration that we're now citizens in his kingdom. In fact, if we, if we read all of Galatians 2.20, it kind of says all that Paul is talking about here. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see how similar that is to what he's saying in Romans? Just, just a different audience and a different um, purpose. But what he's saying in Romans is, well, when Christ was buried, I was buried with him. My old self was killed. I died to sin so that now I would no longer be a slave to sin, but I would live like Christ. Here in Galatians, I was crucified with Christ so that now I'm a new person and I live like Jesus. Christ does. This is what baptism pictures. You see, uh, we talked about how baptism is kind of like rings. Rings point to a, a union. But our baptism, it points to the greatest union that we could possibly have. To our union with Christ that we've been forgiven that we have new life, that Christ is now in us, that we're citizens of his kingdom, and that we are promised to live with him for all of eternity. It is good news. And so when Jesus says, go make disciples, baptize them, he's not just saying, well, go grab people and dunk them in the water. But he's saying, you're going to go tell people about Jesus. And as they do, their response is going to be to repent, to believe, to receive the Holy Spirit, and they will be baptized. And that baptism will be this divine drama on display showing the world what Christ has done and also a means of grace for this person and those who have faith that they would be strengthened as they see that happen. So as we watch the baptisms today, if you're a believer in Christ, God is displaying the gospel right there. He's showing what God has done in your life. He's showing the new life you now have. And for those who are being baptized by faith, they're growing also in their understanding of God through the very act of baptism as a means of grace that God has given us. Two other things. We also see baptism as a work of our Trinitarian God. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this one. Uh, this will definitely be one when we kind of do our series, we'll come back. But notice, Matthew 28, we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, in the spirit. When we talk about the gospel, a lot of times we just kind of focus on Jesus, which, which is good. We should focus on Jesus. Remember, Jesus is always the answer when you're downstairs in Sunday school? Always it just Jesus, right? Jesus. Um, unless if it's Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, when, I was a youth, when I was in youth group, we, we had some kids. They just shouted Nebuchadnezzar for like every answer. There's always one, right? There's always someone, one of you is that someone, it's probably actually me, uh, but anyways, 
The Father's the one who ordains our salvation. He's the one who sends the Son. Uh, Some people have kind of perverted the gospel, twisted the gospel, as if God is this big, angry, wrathful God, and Jesus sneaks down to earth so that he'll die on the cross and save us from his big, angry daddy. But what we see throughout Scripture is that the Father sends the Son. And that the Son, we read in Hebrews chapter 12, He comes and He endures the cross, do you remember, with what? With joy. With the joy that's set before Him because He knows the glory that's going to be brought to the Father and He knows the securing of the bride, the saving of the church. He knows you and me and that we will be saved by His act at the cross. And so with joy He goes to the cross. And then the Spirit we're told, like in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, when we believe in Jesus, He's the one who works within our heart. He's the one who rejuvenates us, makes us new, gives us eyes to see. Have you ever wondered, how is it that we go, like, like someone like Paul in, in, the, in the Bible, before he's a Christian, he hates Christians, and then all of a sudden he loves Christians when he comes to know Jesus. He destroyed churches, now he builds churches. What happened? Well, God sent the Son, the Son died on the cross, and the Spirit applied the grace of Jesus to Paul's life, meaning he opened his eyes. And when he opened his eyes, he saw the beauty of Jesus, and he believed, and he was made new. And so when we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Spirit, we're testifying that our God is three in one, which is different from any other God. And that's in our series we'll have to do, Trinity. Won't that be a fun one? We're just like racking up these series that we're going to do. Um, but we're testifying who our God is. And our God is Father, Son, Spirit. One God, three persons. And if that blows your mind, that's okay. It's meant to blow your mind. Because we're made in His image. He's not made in our image. So He is different. He is different. Lastly, I just want you to know this. Baptism is a temporary practice of the church. So if you look at verse 20, Jesus says, And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now for one, there's an amazing amount of comfort there. He's like, I want you to go out into the world where you're going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will make you an enemy of all other people. And you're going to tell them that they're sinful and they're under God's wrath and they need to believe in Jesus and I don't know about you, but that's kind of the part that always makes us a little nervous. At some point in the gospel presentation, we have to tell people, you're sinful. You're under God's wrath. And, and that, that's hard to kind of bring up and do so in a means of love and grace. And so Jesus is calling us to go out, but he says, I'll be with you. And I will strengthen you at every step of the way. You will never, ever be alone. But he says, to the end of the age. The mission has, a, has an end date. We don't know when that end date is. We're kind of told what that's going to look like. Jesus will return. He will gather the church to himself, make a new heavens and new earth, and all who have not believed in him, all who have not been baptized into the name of Christ, will be forever judged in, in hell. And so our mission is limited. It's a, it's a specific period of time, and we just don't know the end day. But we're called to go and share the gospel. We're called to go love others with Jesus Christ. 
that they also would experience this baptism of Christ, that their old self would die, and they'd be given a new life in Jesus. They would live in a way that honors God, that pleases God. And we're told in 1 John chapter 3, 2, that one day when Christ returns, we will see him as he is. Do you know that? You will look at Jesus. See, do you know why you don't need the physical sign of an invisible grace anymore when you're looking at the physical Jesus? Because you're looking at the reality. We don't need signs anymore. The signs are pointing us to the cross. They're pointing us to the sufficiency of Christ. We won't take communion. We don't take baptism. We will feast. But it will be different then. Because we will be with the Son in the fullness of His glory. And these signs are temporary now for our day as a means of strengthening us as a means of giving us grace, as a means of proclaiming to the world what Christ has done. And so I want to encourage you. The mission is for a limited period of time. And if you have been, if you are a believer and been baptized, then you know that your old self has died. Your new self is alive. You have the Spirit in you. Therefore, you have everything you need to love others, to serve others to do good works, to give kind words, to share the truth of the gospel. Plant those seeds knowing that it's not you who gives growth, but God gives growth, and we pray that he will save so that we would see more and more and more baptisms. So if you're ever doubting, I don't know that I can actually do this. Look back to your baptism. What does your baptism say about who you are? Your baptism says your old self died. Your baptism says your new self is now alive in Christ. Your baptism says you're a citizen of his kingdom. Your baptism says you are indwelt by his believer. Your baptism says you are a son of God. Your baptism says you will live with God forever and his grace is in you. His presence is with you. So when you struggle with the fear of man, I don't know how I can love him. I don't know how I can share the gospel. You have everything that you need in Christ. And you can come back to the Word. The Word is always sufficient. You can also turn back to your baptism. And remember what God has done in you and what your baptism signifies, that you are new in Christ. So, let me just give a few ways that we respond. Number one, I I just want to encourage you, celebrate. If you're a believer, if you've been baptized, rejoice in Jesus Christ what he has done, and as you watch these baptisms today, I pray that moves you to rejoice in what God has done in your life and that our God saves. Sometimes I think we forget that. Our God still saves people. Do you know that? Saves people every day. He saves people from their sins. If you have not yet believed in Jesus Christ, you can believe in him today and experience that salvation. But I pray if you have, we should be moved to joy today as we remember our baptism as we watch other people in their baptism so we celebrate we rejoice that we've been washed clean i want to encourage you we also live out our new life in christ you are new paul paul's whole reason you can't keep sinning why because you've been baptized when paul when paul later he talks in the galatians you can't be fighting with one another because you've been baptized Isn't that awesome? Baptism just kind of covers everything. You've been united as the body of Christ. Baptism testifies of that. Baptism says you're dead to sin. You have a new life in Christ. 
So we're called to live new. We're called to share the gospel. Encourage you to share the gospel. Love your neighbors. Get to know your neighbors. Love those who you work with. Not because necessarily they are lovable or because they deserve it, but because they're made in the image of God. And just as you received grace, so you can give grace. And if you are here and you've not yet believed again, our response would be to repent. Repent in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Repent that he came and died and went into the ground and three days later he rose again so that we could have life. And now today, in a few moments, that drama will be put on display for you as the students go into the water. Their old self has been crucified with Christ and they're now raised in Christ to live a new life. So I'm going to pray. After I get done praying, a team is going to come up and lead in some music and, and the students who are going to go out and be baptized today, you can follow me after I get prayer, after I pray, and we'll go through these doors. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you have died on a cross for us. And that, Lord, our baptism doesn't just point to the cross, but in a sense, we are united with you at your death. So our old self truly did die. And our new self is now alive in you because you have risen from the grave. And I pray that we would all know that there is life in your son, Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness in your son. May we celebrate that. May we rejoice. You save, and you will continue to save all the way up until the point that you return. So I pray for anyone who's here who doesn't know you that they would believe in you and the friends and the family and the workers that we know from this room that do not know you. I pray that you would embolden us and strengthen us, that we would share the truth of the gospel with them, that we would be faithful in the planting of seeds and that you would be faithful in giving growth. Father, bless the students today as they are baptized. Bless us as a church as we see your gospel lived out in this baptism. In your name, Jesus, amen.